Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The uh, thematic message of our lessons today is a very serious one. Basically, Jesus Christ is returning. That is the, the message. And he will return on the day of the Lord, and he will return to judge the living and the dead. And this is serious because at that point when he returns, it will be instantaneous, immediate. It will be irrevocable. He's not going to put his foot in to test the water. When he comes, it's, it's done. The jig is up. He's returned for the final judgment. So, uh, and it will be final when he returns. On that day, those who have persisted in the faith will be saved. But those who persist in unbelief on that day will be eternally condemned. So it is a very serious day and a very serious subject. We've woven through all of these lessons that we heard today. Is it a good day or a bad day? I mean, it's a serious day, but is it good or is it bad? And what I want to do is a survey of the lessons to see if we can answer this and make sense of it. Starting in Amos, woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light. As if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him. In other words, there's no escape. So why would we look eagerly toward that day? It's going to be a pretty brutal day. And Amos here gives us the impression, certainly, that, oh, no, this is going to be a bad day. However, that's not exactly the case. I think you have to read Amos in context to understand what he's saying. Um, and he was speaking to a particular audience as he was, as all of the prophets did. You know, they would come and they would uh, tell the uh, people, the chosen people of God, the Israelites, they would call them back into the covenant. They would call them to repent and to turn back to God which usually didn't make them very popular people. Amos was no exception. Um, but so he was coming to a people who were recalcitrant in unbelief, and he was calling them to repentance. So to them, he's saying, yeah, it's, you, don't wanna, you don't want God to come now. You don't want this day because it's not going to be a good one for, for you because of that, because of the circumstances. And, and the examples you can see in the text there, for example, where he says, I hate... I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Now here, God is pronouncing judgment on their hypocrisy. It's not that God didn't like the reverent following and keeping of the covenant that he had given them, the law that they were to follow. It's that they were doing it in a hypocritical way. They were thinking, oh, we can serve God by doing this, keeping this ceremonial law, but then they were neglecting the weightier elements of the law, like loving your neighbor, like caring for those that were in need around you. So they ignored parts of the law and then seemingly kept other parts of it. Um, and, and what does that demonstrate but unbelief? And that's the root problem here is that they are not, they're unbelieving. And so for them, the day of judgment would be a difficult one. 
um, unbelief is, is a problem because uh, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Is that familiar to you? Um, that comes from Hebrews 11. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So they must believe in God and look to him for good, not serve him in some hypocritical way as though he's a taskmaster that's you know, uh, whipping you into submission. <clears throat> now, I'm gonna move on to Psalm 70. David uh, cries out, and we could cry out with him in times of turmoil. Make haste, O God, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Now, in this psalm, we see and we confess that God is both a judge and a redeemer. You probably noticed that as we read it responsively. Uh, we, we petition God, let, let them be turned back and brought to dishonor. So that's the judgment part. God, stand in judgment over those who persecute me. That's basically what, what David is crying out. In other words, he's not the one that needs to judge them, but God, I call on you to judge them. But then also, may those who love your salvation say evermore, God is great. See, the psalm pivots to how we approach God and petition him for salvation. So we see God in this psalm as both a judge and a redeemer. Now, God is the righteous judge who will avenge those who sought David's life, which is what he's petitioning God for here. But he's also the redeemer of souls, who is the deliverer, bringing salvation. So does that give us a, a clue or a hint as to this last day and whether that day is good or bad? You can kind of see a little bit of both, right? Because God is both the judge and the redeemer. So when he comes, he's doing both things. All right, St. <clears throat> Paul's epistle that we heard from Thessalonians, uh, he gives hope and comfort in this epistle. Uh, since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. In other words, the people who have died, it's not, that's not the end. Those who have died in the Lord, we, we bury with the certainty of resurrection that will come when Christ returns. So we look forward eagerly toward that day when we see our loved ones again. <clears throat> he also says, um, those who are still living at his return will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet them, uh, to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. So again, believers look toward this day eagerly. So we see in, in Amos, uh, he's talking about the last day and he's warning people, oh, yeah, you don't want to look forward to that. But then you get to Paul and he's saying, uh, uh, don't grieve when someone dies as though you have no hope. Because when your brother in Christ dies, don't worry, on the last day, they're going to be raised again to eternal life and you with them. Whether you die or whether you're living, either way, Christ is going to call you to himself. So we see in these lessons an opposite. And then in the, in the psalm, we see sort of both, that you know it's good and bad. And that brings us to the gospel lesson where we have this parable, which can be confusing, perhaps, of the 10 virgins. It gives a picture of 10 virgins. Five are wise, five are foolish. 
The wise are the ones who have oil, and the foolish are the ones who have not. And the parable ends, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Uh, That is an important uh, point and a side note. If anyone ever tells you they know the day and the hour, or the day or the hour that Jesus is returning, just understand they are a false prophet. Nobody knows the day or the hour. Could not be more clear than it there. So, um, so we, we, you've probably gathered by now that the distinction about whether this is a good or a bad day is that for believers, it's a great day because Jesus is returning and he's gathering us up to himself and he's gathering up all of our loved ones. So we see, you know, I get to see Nana again, you know, and my granddad. And I'm, I look forward to that day. At the same time, it is a, a day that uh, unbelievers should not look forward to. For them, it is a catastrophic day. Those who have rejected the free gift of God's grace in Christ Jesus will not be pleased on that day. Now, with this parable, there's a lot of... Uh, you could, If you read your study notes, I, don't, I haven't even looked at the study Bible to see what kind of notes they give for this. But it, the problem seems to be, the biggest problem is that this parable gets overinterpreted by people reading into it all kinds of nuances and things that you really can't, you really can't read that into it. But, but we can see what's happening. We have um, uh, oil. We have this picture of oil being a good thing. Uh, and the wise people have extra oil. Um, sometimes this gospel lesson could be used as an object lesson, you know, with admonitions to uh, make sure your, your oil is stocked full. How do we do that? You know, how do I do that, Pastor? How do I make sure I have plenty of oil if Jesus comes back tomorrow? Well, you need to be praying eight times a day and fasting and giving alms. These are all important things. See, if you do that, then your, your oil level just like rises and gets higher and higher. And now it's at a level where I'm ready for Jesus to return because uh, he's going to catch me in the act of doing good. And I'm going to have this present to give to Jesus to say, hey, look, Jesus, here are all the good works I've been doing for you. And I'm ready for you to come back. By the way, that's sarcasm. We talked a little bit this morning about sarcasm. Everyone confirmed that they understand what sarcasm is. <clears throat> but that is, that's what some people will do with this lesson. They'll turn it into a, an object lesson in, in your proper behavior. Living the Christian life. Living the life with your oil full or something like that. I don't know. I could put that on the marquee out front. Live your life with full oil or whatever. I don't know. Oil is bad now, I guess, so we can't do that. Yeah, maybe there's like we can retell this this account without oil and use like battery powered something. I don't, I don't know. All right, but if that were the case, if this is really an admonition into how to live your life with your spiritual oil at you know full and ready for Christ to come back at any time, well, then it's not really gospel, is it? It's more of like a threat, you know, like keep that oil level high or else. And that's not really what's going on. Jesus started the parable here by saying the kingdom of heaven is like. Now, how do you tell people what the kingdom of heaven is? I mean, it's so far beyond our understanding, our ken to know what the kingdom of heaven is. So Jesus gives parables by which we can sort of see what it looks like. And this is one. The kingdom of heaven is like 
So he's teaching us about the kingdom of heaven. Ten virgins go to meet the bridegroom. Now, uh, when Jesus taught this parable, his hearers would have most likely thought that the bridegroom is God the Father. But what would strike them here is that actually the bridegroom is God the Son. It's Jesus Christ himself. He is the bridegroom of his bride, the church. So the bridegroom go, is coming, and so these virgins go to meet him. Um, I mean, we can make an entire story, uh, study sorry, of what the oil represents, um, of what the virgins represent, the fact that there's 10, which is a number of, of, uh, of completion. You can make a study of that. But I think that the simple message that comes through here is that five virgins were prepared to honor the the bridegroom and five were not prepared to honor the bridegroom. It it really is that simple. Five were prepared to honor and receive Jesus Christ and five were not. They were not prepared to honor and receive. And, And so... What do, what do we do? We, we're going to run out and buy oil. Well, how do you buy it? Where do you buy, where do you buy this oil? See, you can't buy it because what, what it is that, that separates the wise and the foolish is really faith. It's, it's God's grace that we have received by faith when we see that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Messiah. That's what it means to receive and to honor the bridegroom. So some honor the bridegroom and some don't. Some looked at Jesus and said, well, I thought he was something great, but look, he died. So he must not be. Some looked and saw, and and many looked and saw that. But others saw in his resurrection what, what the apostles did not stop to proclaim, which is that Jesus is the Christ, that he's the bridegroom, that the bridegroom has come, and that the bridegroom has come to save. His alien work is one of condemnation. His alien work is one in which he will judge the living and the dead. So with sober minds, we should look and recognize that. The time, the day, uh, and, and the hour for proclaiming the good news to someone is now. It's not next tomorrow or next week. It's now. Yes, we should have that sense of urgency. This faith is not something that we can purchase either. You can't go to a dealer and buy faith. It's a gift from God. It's given freely and it has to be received as a gift. There's no price you can pay. You can either receive it as a gift or you reject it. If you say, well... You know, going back to the whole, I'm going to build up my oil reservoir with all these good works. Well, what are you doing? You're rejecting the gift of God's grace. No, he gives it to you freely. So you receive it freely. Now we confess in the creed, he will come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead. That's what we're confessing and that's what this is teaching. Yes, Christ will return. Nobody knows when. But we must always be ready. So in that, there is a solemn warning. And is it a bad day or a good day? Yeah, if you're in unbelief, it's a bad day. And you need to hear that warning. You need to hear that warning and, and 
Those who persist in unbelief need to hear it as a warning and a threat. Now, meanwhile, for those who, who are believers, we hear this and we're comforted by it. So for us, it is a good day. And why? Because that is the day when Jesus will set all things straight and all things right. For us, this is not a day to fear. It's a day to be encouraged and to hope for and to look forward to longingly, knowing that, as Paul said, we will always be with him, whether we die or whether we live when he returns, uh, we will always be with him. We as believers see that God loves us, that he's redeemed us in baptism, that he's forgiven us for the sake of his shed blood. Christ has forgiven you. I want to conclude with St. Paul's words to the Corinthian church. As you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, This is what Paul wrote to the Corinthians and to us, telling us we we should be waiting for this day and he will sustain us to that day, guiltless, guiltless in the day of the Lord. That's the comfort and the assurance that we have is that for Christ's sake, because he took upon himself all of our sins, the day of the Lord is not a day that we fear. It's a day that we come to with confidence. You know, it's like showing up to a fight where you're like way underpowered and there's no way you're going to win, but you have your big brother beside you and you know, he's, you know he is going to. Well, that, that's how it, we, we show up on the day of the Lord and we have Christ's righteousness. Oh, you think mine's not good enough? Well, it's not. But Christ's is good enough and that's the righteousness that we have. So we have that confidence when we come into the day of the Lord. As you wait for the revealing of your Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Friends, you will never run out of oil. That is the message here. Don't perplex yourselves or wonder about how you can fill up your oil reservoir so you're always ready for that day when he returns. The message is, By faith, you've been saved. You will never run out of oil. That faith is the oil. That's the spiritual oil that you need and that you have and that God will keep in you. God gives that to you and and by that, he makes you ready for this day of return. Amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.